I'm Dick Summer, and it's time to say goodnight. This is a quiet place to rest your head, a safe place to hide a hurting heart, a gentle place to fall. We just call this place goodnight. I am sitting here in my big, manly, comfortable black leather puppet chair in my living room, charging up my Christmas jolly. Some of the stories that I'm going to tell you for the next few weeks, I have told you before. I guess you could say they're old stories. But then Christmas is an old story, too. A happy, musical, smiling, crying, laughing, jolly old story. One of the many jolly things about Christmas is that it always seems to find a way past even wrinkles and gray hair to find the kid who still lives somewhere inside you. Siegel sent me a note about one Christmas season when I was on the air in Boston. And Len says, quote, you ask listeners to write to you with their personal thoughts about what Christmas means to them. You were struck by how much your listeners opened up their hearts and souls in those letters. And since you were doing the Christmas Eve broadcast from the remote studio on Boston Common, you decided to read the letters outside the studio with the people who had come to see the broadcast. So you and I were looking for a suitable burn barrel, which we needed because you were going to throw the letters into a fire after you finished reading them. And that's all I remember. By the way, I'm Jewish, but I spent many a Christmas day with my Christian friends. It's a spirit of goodwill that makes Christmas. End quote. You got that one right, Len, that's for sure. And by the way, Santa says, Happy Hanukkah to you. a little bit more of the story, although I'm not going to swear that everything I remember is accurate after all of this time. It was a long time ago. The broadcast was 8 p.m. to midnight, and I planned on reading the letters and burning them at about 11.45. Burning letters like that is a, is a matter of respect. So I mentioned uh, what I was going to do on the air, and I invited people to drop in. So by 9 o'clock, there were quite a few folks there. By 10, there were several hundred people there. By 11, there was a traffic jam on Charles Street, which is the street right next to Boston Common. And, and try to remember, this was a spur-of-the-moment thing. I didn't have permission from anybody, including the radio station or the police department, to do it. So by 11.30, it looked like we had at least a 1,000 people standing around the broadcast trailer, and the cops had sent extra troops out trying to untangle the traffic. I figured I was in trouble with a capital T. But uh, one of the cops came over. He saw what was going on. He just kind of smiled and he wished me a, a Merry Christmas. Then 
some of the musicians from the Unicorn Coffee House showed up. As I recall, Tom Rush was there, I think, and Jose Feliciano and Jamie Brockett and Mitch Kurtzman, you know, the usual suspects. At about quarter of 12, I went outside and I started reading the letters and, and burning them as I went. As I said, I consider burning letters like that to be a sign of respect. And as if on cue, it started to snow softly. And just before midnight, a little off-key, we all sang Silent Night. If you ever heard a thousand people singing Silent Night, standing close enough together to keep warm by a Christmas Eve bonfire in the snow, you will never forget it. Never. Lots of Christmas stories in my book, Staying Happy, Healthy, and Hot, available at Amazon, which is a shameless plug. But here is a Christmas story that people write to me about all year long. You hear a whole lot about angels at this time of the year, especially herald angels. They're sort of the musicians, I guess. And I've kind of had it with angels getting all the attention and us getting none of the attention. And you know why herald angels get all the attention and we don't get any? I figured out it is the word hark. That word gets your attention. Now, I like attention. I guess that's probably why I spent so many years on the radio. The attention and the girls, those are the two things that you get for being on the radio. I even met the girl who is now my lady wonder wench because I was on the radio. She was in charge of the program log at the station that I worked at in Boston. And I used to screw up the log on purpose because I knew she'd have to come into the studio. And, and she'd throw me one of those, what is the matter with you kind of looks. You don't like girls give you? <laughs> and those big baby blues would be turned up to stun, you know. And, and she'd look down at the log book and, and she'd hide behind that curtain of long, soft brown hair and fix the mess that I'd made. I actually caught her sneaking a look at me, sneaking a look at her one day. She thought I couldn't see her behind that hair. Of course, if I were a little faster in the head, I would have said, Hark! <laughs> but say some naturally occurring chemicals originating in places somewhat lower than my head always seemed to kind of hinder my thinking when she was around. But as usual, I digress. How, you will ask, can I work the word hark into my everyday conversation, thereby becoming more herald angelic and getting more attention and girls? Or if you are a girl, you're probably thinking, how can I work the word hark into my everyday conversation, thereby becoming more herald angelic and getting the attention of every guy within earshot? 
Well, here's how you do it. Have you ever noticed that when most of us are asked a question, we almost always start our answer with the word, well, I just did it with, with that answer. I said, well, have you ever noticed? See? Even people on TV do it. Like you, You've heard, for example, uh, well, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow, Al? And then Al says, well, probably nice if it doesn't snow or rain, you know? Even our leaders talk like that. Even here in the hospitals, where nobody's really well. My buddy Al had a serious operation the other day, and fortunately it was successful. And we know that because when we asked the doctor, the doctor said, well, he's going to get well. <laughs> yeah, we all fall down this well. So that's, I think that's the answer. And, and Big Louie, his own bad self, uh, he agrees because he, he always tells the members of the Louie Louie generation, say the hell with well, light a spark with hark. Think about what that word hark did for Jamie Lee Curtis's father, Tony. I don't know if you remember or not, but he played the part of an Arab sheik in one of those movies he was in. And he uttered that unforgettable line. He said, hark. Yonder lies the castle of my father. <laughs> and everybody said, yeah, yeah, Tony, go, baby. <laughs> if it weren't for that Brooklyn translation of the word hark, Tony would be totally forgotten. Except, of course, for the fact that he is Jamie Lee Curtis's father. <laughs> And think about how absolutely classy Rocky Balboa could have been if instead of saying, yo, he said, hark. You know, hark is, is one of the reasons the Herald Angels get away with rhyming proclaim with Bethlehem. And they do sing the song. You'll hear it. When you start a statement with the word hark, you can say almost anything you like after it because people are so astonished. Try it. Hark, I'd like a raise. Hark, I found lipstick on your collar. Hark, I'm pregnant. Hark, I get fired. Of course, saying hark is not the only way to get attention uh, when the weather outside is frightful. By, uh, you can get attention also by, by going around dressed in your gay apparel, telling one and all fa-la-la-la-la. That'll get you some attention. <laughs> Another way to get your attention is to feed your guests roasted chestnuts. You know, chestnuts roasting, I don't know. Have you ever tasted those things? Yuck. Going for a ride in a one-horse open sleigh will do it, too, especially if you're going for a ride in a one-horse open sleigh on US-95. You get people's attention. They'll lean out the windows and say things like hark to you and other things, too. But hark... Maybe it's because I'm an ex-radio guy, but as much as I hate to keep harping on it, and as much as I wish them well, I see no reason at all why the Herald Angels should get all the attention, and the girls, for that matter. Especially when you think about it, angels are bodiless creatures that spend all of their time harping on everything. So, you know, they have absolutely no use for the girls. What a waste. The church says St. Nicholas is no longer a saint. I don't ask your kids about that. 
And with the latest shopping results in, the uh, Treasury Department says, ho, 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 yes, he is. Johnny Carson used to say there's only one fruitcake. Nobody likes it, so everybody just sends it around to everybody else. For the record, I like fruitcake. Hark, if you have the fruitcake, send it to me, all right? And do you know what Adam said on the day before Christmas? Adam said, it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> I'm sorry. Text the tales. They take your mind off your mind. Wonder Wench and I have a, a bit of a, a custom. Well, we have a lot of customs, but one of the things is we always put our tree up the Sunday before Christmas. And just unwrapping the decorations is kind of a present. We take our time with that. Because most of ours have seen a lot of Christmas Eves. It's a little Santa doll that has to be nearly a hundred years old. It comes from her family. It's kind of tall and gangly. Little like her father used to look. And there's a finely crafted German Christmas ball that once hung on my grandfather's tree in Germany. But a decoration that will be unwrapped most carefully again this year. Just a jagged star has been at the top of our Christmas tree for a very long time. I cut it out of cardboard and I wrapped it with Reynolds wrap a long time ago. Now, obviously, every tree needs a star on top. And we didn't have enough money to buy one at the store that year. Who would have thought that it would still be with us after all of the kids and the jobs and the moves and the laughs and the tears? There's something very comforting about the ritual of putting old decorations on a Christmas tree. It's like your parents and your grandparents and friends that you haven't seen in a lot of years and may never see again get to wish you a Merry Christmas one more time. And you do it back for them. I was supposed to put Wonder Wench out of my life when Christmas. I tried very hard, but didn't work. Just had to see her. And I went without calling first, and I found her sitting alone, writing. She wasn't feeling very much like Christmas. But I made her go out, and we, we bought a tree, and we put it up together. I've been asking you for your favorite Christmas memories and stories and things, and I told you about one of my favorites a few years ago. Maybe you remember it. It went like this. My lady and I went for our traditional just-before-Christmas flight in our little airplane the other night. We have a little four-seat airplane that flies low and slow. Our friends all think we're out there looking for Santa Claus, but we're not. I guess you could say we're looking for gold. Yeah, we got lucky again this year. Our little airport's just a few miles west of Philadelphia. And as usual, on a cold, clear, almost Christmas night when my lady and I got there... It was dark and deserted, except for the white runway lights and the, the blue lights along the taxiways and, and the spotlight on the windsock. So we strapped ourselves in, fired up the engine, and climbed up into the black-and-white magic midnight. You heard a small plane engine late the other night, and you looked up, and you saw small wingtip lights playing in the stars. That might have been us. Moonlight was shining into the cockpit, and... The city's Christmas lights were sliding under our wings. Those city lights were Santa Claus bright. You'd almost hear the ho-ho-ho and the hustle and the crowds and the music and the parties going on down there. But 
we weren't looking for Santa Claus. So we turned out over the suburbs, and the lights got gentler out there in the neighborhoods. And instead of the city hustle and bustle, you know, the jingle bell sounds, you, you get houses carefully decorated with Christmas lights. And you get a feeling of, of carols playing on stereos and, and fancy paper wrapping around personal presents. And cups of hot chocolate with cold whipped cream. And, and kids trying to pretend they're really asleep. And then a little farther out, we floated over some farms, mostly Amish. Real candles in the windows there. A few horse-drawn wagons down on the streets. You could see their lanterns swinging from side to side on those dark roads. It's almost like flying backward in time. It was quiet. So very quiet. My lady was sitting in the right seat, looking like a lovely little girl in the moonlight, just wearing those big co-pilot headphones. And she was smiling and crying at the same time, and that's, that's when she did it again. She said, thank you for this. I love you. And as quietly as the sound of ancient angels... The black and white midnight turned into Christmas gold. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. My lady's very beautiful, so there is a temptation to say that I'd like you to see her in a moonlit cockpit looking like a little girl in big pilot headphones, smiling as Christmas passes under our wings. But you know what the truth is? The truth is I'm glad I'm the only man to have ever seen her look quite like that. Ha! Got you, Christmas. That's what you're really all about, that look. My lady and I have had a lot of Christmas Eves together, a lot of children's questions, a lot of tears and laughs, and it's all there in that look. And I remember how it started. Bike bells, doorbells, typewriter bells. Fire bells, alarm clock bells. Bells trickle through the calendar, tinkling down the days almost ignored until November dies. And then the school bells, timer bells, cash register bells all sing the sound of the season. Big bells, baby bells, telephone bells. Telephone bells. They are the ones that give a glisten to the silver Christmas air. It was in an icicled outdoor telephone booth with the door frozen open and a small snowdrift in the coin return slot that I called to ask if you wanted to go Christmas shopping. And you said yes, in a voice that curled around and into my ear moist and warm from inside you. It was like slowly pressing my foot into a warmed, fur-lined bedroom slipper. 
That was the first time I ever really enjoyed the bustle of shopping. And when we finished, we stood in the brilliant cold to watch the flashing Christmas tree lights in the park. The reflections made candlelit stained glass windows of your eyes. And right there, in the swirl of gold wrapping paper and red ribbon bows and the tumble of the hustling crowd while your arms were trapped under the bundles of Christmas gifts that we just bought, I said, Merry Christmas, and kissed you. It took you by surprise. You flicked your eyelashes wide enough for me to look at something that few women ever show a man. For as long as it took my breath to melt the snowflake from your wind-tangled hair, you slipped out of the delicate black lace of feminine mystery. Your eyes fed me the full, round, warm honey of your most personal love. And I think it was just my breath that painted pink frost crystals on your cheek. You just closed your eyes and stood there in an almost holy silence. And that's how we rode home that blizzard night, the car's heater thawing the scent of green pine from your fur collar. We were so close that I didn't even want the crunching of footsteps in the snow between us. So I carried you from the car to the house, the flowered tops of your nylons blooming in the snow falling on my corduroy coat sleeve, the jingle bells of my keys sounding the start of our first Christmas together. That's one of our oldest Christmas stories. It's back from the time when telephones had bells and there were outdoor telephone booths. And the doors sometimes got frozen open on those booths. They're almost like confessionals, those outdoor telephone booths. More often than most people think, there were conversations going on in those booths that needed to remain very private. Conversations like the one I had with my lady that Christmas so very long ago. That story is called Christmas Warm. It's from the Love and Touch personal audio CD. If you like it, you can just keep this podcast, or if you want a fresh copy, just go back to DickSummer.com. Check out the Love and Touch personal audio CD icon. I want to thank you very much for sending your favorite Christmas memories and hopes and fears and laughs and tears. and you know, you Send them to dick at dicksummer.com. Lots of you have sent them. If you haven't sent yours yet, please do. Looking forward to hearing from all of you, if possible. My Lady Wonder Wench wrote about her favorite Christmas memories. This is what she said. I remember a Christmas when we were living in separate cities and I had a flat tire but he came to change it for me. I remember a Christmas when I didn't even have a tree or any ornaments or anything to remind me of the fact that I was alone. Oh, not entirely, because my parents were not so far away, but he was far away, and I didn't want to care. But he came, and he brought me a little tree and a great deal of Christmas. 
I remember the year we went to an old, unused firing range and cut down our own tree. And we dragged it home. I remember the year in Newark after Christmas, when at 3 a.m. we went outside with our tree and me with matches in my pocket and down to a little park so we could do an old Brooklyn tradition and set that tree on fire. We did, of course, and then ran like hell so no one would catch us. And I remember the year we pulled up the gates and spent the holiday by ourselves, just us. And, as Dean Martin says, we had our love to keep us warm. I remember the year our first grandchild was born. And his dad and mine spent hours in our kitchen, putting together a rocking chair and a hobby horse just for her. They were like two little kids having a ball. But most of all, I remember my Louie Louie lad and the snow melting on the cuff of a white coat on Boston Common as he asked me to marry him. Hey, thank you for saying yes. Time to tuck you in now. I'm Dick Summer, and I hope you'll come back soon for a gentle place to fall. Quiet place to rest your head. Safe place to hide a hurting heart. Nice and easy now. Couple of deep breaths. Come on. There you go. Just one more. That's better. All the way to sleep. All the way to sleep. Good night.